Hi, I'm Brenna Ardron, and you're listening to For Your Healing Pleasure. This life can be rocky, which makes healing a big part of it. I started this podcast as a space to explore all that promotes healing. Through the voices of guests, healers, and thought leaders, I hope you gain bits of inspiration for your own healing journey. I believe together we can heal. So without further ado, for your healing pleasure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to For Your Healing Pleasure. Today, I have my cousin, Madison Williams. Hello, hello. Um, She has a true crime YouTube channel that has um, a focus on Black people and people of color, and I really wanted to bring her on the show. I'll have her introduce herself, and then I'll talk a little bit more about why, but yeah, get a little bit more into what you do. Yeah, so hi, I'm Madison. I'm Brenna's younger cousin, um, and we uh, grew up together. So I, it's exciting that I'm like your first in person interview. It's yeah. kind of funny, <laughs> um, but I was I'm excited to like be here. Obviously, so thank you for inviting me. But I have a true crime YouTube channel called Murder She Told. We just hit 110 subscribers, so I'm really excited about that. We're still fresh, but still excited. <laughs> Um, And basically what the whole channel's premise is, is to kind of deconstruct the idea of what true crime means, what true crime is, and broaden the definition and be more inclusive to people in marginalized communities. So we're talking like poverty situations, people of color, obviously, black people, indigenous people, and um, as well as, you know, sex workers and things like that. When in true crime spaces, they don't normally get as much attention as like maybe your wealthy white, you know, kind of classic story. So that's my focus. And then I also do documentary reactions and stuff like that. But um, yeah. 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 No, I I wanted to bring you on because um, obviously this podcast is focused around healing and I have a pretty broad concept of like what healing is, at least right. to me. And I think that like um, the first reason is I think that kind of shifting focus and like educating people um, about like where things are left out or groups that are potentially left out of a conversation is very healing to a system. And we see that um, happening in other aspects of the system. Like I had Dishelle on earlier who um, works in sustainable fashion and like even talking about like the way that different choices starts to heal a system that's like kind of become maybe destructive or more toxic or just not as supportive as we'd like. Right. Um, But also I love when people are doing things that are on purpose and like on mission. And I think Mm -hmm, that like, mm -hmm. even when I first, when this was just an idea before it was actually brought to fruition and me and you were talking about it, just the passion that you had about, this project and of like, I see this gap and I really want to be the one to fill it or if some, I want someone to fill it and it might need to be me. Right. And then seeing it come to fruition and like really, um, I don't know, this goal of like being like on YouTube and putting your videos out and like creating content, I think is so cool and so inspiring. So yeah, wanted to share the story yes. with everyone. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, 
I feel like, you know, in a way, like starting this YouTube channel in the midst of the pandemic um, was me kind of finally sitting down with myself and being like, you've always wanted to do this. So mm -hmm. like the world's not going to pause like this ever again. At least, I mean, it could, you know, <laughs> but it's like, it, it's not gonna, you're not going to have this time back and you don't want to go into, you You don't want to be the same person you were at the end of this whole journey. And I really feel like the pandemic whole situation was a journey, but I, and I know I'm privileged to say this, but I, there's a sil silver lining for me because I think, before my my life was so regimented, I was working doing social media for a jewelry company um, that my mom's friend owned. And, you know, I had to commute to downtown L.A. I every day in the traffic and like just my days were just so full of things that I didn't necessarily like find as much value in. I was spending all day making this other woman's business and dreams come true when mm -hmm. I had always wanted to do something like this, make a YouTube channel, make my own content. I talk to myself all the time in the mirror. So it's like, <laughs> or on long drives, on my commute, I was having my own podcast with myself. So I it's like, it's like <laughs> I was just kind of like looking at like my circumstances. So obviously, as you could probably deduce, I was let go from my position because who buys $10,000 jewelry in a pandemic slash recession? So uh, I was let go and um, it was um, an experience to say the least, but thankfully it was during the time of like the surplus with unemployment. So I was still able to get an income and I really began chipping away at deciding on the things that I wanted to, you know, do and go after those things. So I was really... I was just kind of like, I need to do this. Like I kept, it kept coming up in my mind and I was like, there's nothing stopping you now. You have all day. You are still getting an income. You are, have the ability to buy the equipment. You can just, you know, it's time to do it. And so I just felt like it was divine timing in all things. And I, I felt really positive about the experience altogether and I'm happy I'm doing it. I think you know, 110 subscribers, small but mighty, and everyone's super sweet about my videos and stuff. But I think that, like, um, you know, I'm doing it mostly for myself and for fun. And um, if people come along for the ride and like how I speak and what I do, then please stay. But it's really a cathartic thing for me. Yeah. And that's how the best things start, at least in my opinion, when people like are really doing something for the fun of it, because me and Madison have talked about this, but like starting projects like this, it can be really dejecting at the beginning when you're like, yeah. oh, like 13 views, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> like whoop -de -doo. yeah, yeah no, totally, totally. <laughs> and it, you need that driving force of like, what, why am I doing this? What keeps me coming back? Like, am I interested enough in it? And that is like what creates the passion for the consistency to flow. Completely. But I want to talk to you about like, um, really what, what made you start to realize that there was a gap here to be filled? And like, yeah. how did this idea even emerge of like, I really want us to be talking about true crime of marginalized people you know um so i have been a lover of true crime horror cults all things creepy and scary for a very long time <laughs> like on my first video i talk about this but i um fell in love with true crime probably when i shouldn't have been watching true crime stuff um but 
at my household, we couldn't watch TV during the week. We could only watch TV Friday nights, Saturday nights, as you know, and yeah. then um, <laughs> Sundays after chores. And so Friday, I'd rush home and we'd get we'd go get in and out, get something to eat. And then I could sit down in front of the TV and kind of watch whatever I wanted. And so the two shows I would watch were um, WWE Smackdown um, and um, Dateline. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And so I've been into true crime for a very long time. So um, that has always been an interest of mine. I consume true crime media. I go to sleep to true crime documentaries. Like they're the most calming thing to me. Um, Which this is where me and Madison are quite different (laughs) because that is not my experience or story, but I respect (laughs) it and love it. Um, (laughs) But like, um, so consumer of it for a long time and basically where the kind of connection and also I wanted to be a YouTuber for a long time I wanted to make content for a long time but these were all back burner things I was in college I was doing a lot of stuff I was doing other things and so it came into fruition when I was listening to the podcast my favorite murder um, which is a super big true crime podcast that everyone knows. And basically it's, you know, two white women who are really good friends. They are able to tell true crime stories that now they research it. But when I first, you know, started listening to them in 2016, when they started to become big, it was kind of like off the cuff and very casual. Mm-hmm. And um, basically during the pandemic, um, they kind of, didn't handle the what was going on with the George Floyd situation very well. And mm-hmm. I bring that up because it sets the stage for how I decided to start on this journey. But the George Floyd situation happened and a lot of companies were kind of like freaking out about like, okay, we need to seem inclusive. We need to seem mm-hmm. like we're down. We need to, we don't want to be called out. And a lot of companies were getting called out and a lot of um, creators were getting called out because they weren't really speaking on the things. And so I felt like, and you could kind of tell this in the podcast that they had after and during that time that they kind of felt at gunpoint to say something, but what they were saying wasn't the best. And they kind of decided to, you know, focus on only black stories for like a month. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it wasn't sustainable. Right. And it wasn't like, okay, we're actually actually making an active commitment to um, proportionally have this many black stories in our whole catalog and being upfront that they haven't necessarily covered black stories, it was kind of like a catch-all where it was like, okay, this is happening. We don't want want to get called out, so we're just going to put some black stories in for a month. And like overcorrect instead of like maybe having a conversation about like we've this has happened right. and like why has this happened and how can we change and how can we shift right. that? And yeah. how can we look at our industry and see how right. we perpetuate some of these things? How can we look at internally and be upfront and transparent about those conversations? Because no one is perfect, but as long as you're willing to change, there's still hope, you know? Right. And so I think that they kind of overcorrected in this way, but it didn't really hit well. And they kind of, you know, eventually went back which is what a lot of companies did they were kind of like we're big we're bold we love black people black power and then it was like okay no you don't really care you're not gonna continue to care right like they didn't put 
whatever they needed to do, they didn't put it in place for it to be sustainable. Exactly. It was more like we need to get the heat off of us right now. So we're going to do this. And so that's what I found. And I was disappointed because I really, really love the podcast. I really love the podcast. And right. Um, I, I thought they were funny. You know, when I drive to down to San Diego to meet up with my boyfriend, I would always listen to them. I loved it was like I was a stand like I loved every episode, but I kind of was disappointed. And then so I checked out from the pot their podcast for a very long time. And then I kind of checked back in because they were doing the Lacey Peterson story, which mm-hmm. is a classic, a classic true crime story. And um, basically at the very end, like the last five minutes, um, Georgia, who's one of the hosts was like, oh, and, um, you know, it's crazy. There's a story exactly like the Lacey Peterson story. Um, it's, and she's called the other Lacey Peterson. Her name's Evelyn Hernandez. And this is her ca- case summed up really quickly at the end of the podcast about Lacey Peterson. And, um, you know, yeah, that's it. like just an, something that's interesting. <laughs> and it's uh, it was just kind of like, okay, so we went through this whole thing in the summer. You tried to do this diversity thing. Didn't really work. But in here's this, an opportunity. Right. <laughs> here's your chance to be like, let's not do the Lacey Peterson case. Let's do the Evelyn Hernandez case. And, you know, when she's obviously bringing up Evelyn Hernandez's case up, she's kind of like, and the media didn't care and da 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 da. And it's like, you are the media and you are now not really caring. Right. You put her at the end just as like a footnote when she should have been the whole episode. And so I kind of felt a type of way about that, considering like Evelyn Hernandez's case was not happened months before. So it was same year Mm -hmm. in the Bay Area as well. And they both washed up ashore pregnant and murdered by their lovers or partners or something like that. Well, and like we were talking about this story before. I was not familiar with it. And like Madison was sharing with me, like there were just like Evelyn Hernandez was an immigrant, right? From El Salvador. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And her murder was reported by she was pregnant. Her murder was reported by her partner. Mm hmm on her due date so he was like oh like something's wrong yeah yeah because she didn't no that and that's the craziest part like we could just delve in really quick to this case because it like i have a video coming out next week about this and i'm going in because i'm just like this makes no sense and any logical person would know like that's not right and so what brenna's referring to is he decided to go into the police on the because she was supposed to be at the hospital giving birth to their child and she didn't show up. So people start to ask questions. <laughs> and so he goes to the police like, oh, yeah, I'm going to report someone missing because it's weird that she didn't show up to her, new, her day. new day. And it's like, that is pretty what, weird. Wouldn't you want to keep track of the woman who's nine months pregnant with your child? Number Hello. one. But also the response the police gave was really alarming because what they said was. You know, they kind of chalked it up to like, oh, she flew back to El Salvador nine months pregnant to have her kids there. Like they made up this whole narrative about like her life, her intentions and having this kid and all of this stuff. Yeah. When it's I've like, not been nine months pregnant, but I haven't heard a ton of like women in that state that are like, oh, and I'm going to travel all the way back exactly. far, far away just to have my kid. And it's like that was not in her birth plan. Like you and th- those are things that are verifiable, like. Is her is there a flight <laughs> record? Like, let's see, like where where is she most likely to go out of in the airport? Are there videos? Like, they just made up this narrative just to say, like, 
we're giving up on her essentially. Like right. we're just not going to pursue it because clearly she herself has decided to go back home. And when she washed up on the shore, it like obviously changed. You know, they were like, oh yeah, uh, we have to like, you know, now try it's a Yeah, now murder. let's like get into action. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it should have already been strange. And right. the other strange part too about the story, what I was gonna um, say comparatively to Lacey Peterson is, um, as brutal as Lacey Peterson's story and crazy as it was, um, she was pregnant, but Evelyn already had a son who would have been mm -hmm. my age. So he was born in 96. And at that time he was in preschool. So the last place they were both seen alive together was her dropping him off at his preschool. Mm. and the the body of him nothing about him has ever been seen again so there's also Whoa. a missing child in the situation so arguably arguably a worse case because there's a missing kid and right. a pregnant woman and um they just didn't treat him the same you know there was a there's an article called um the tale of two killings that compares the two and essentially um what did they say? They said that Evelyn Hernandez in her hometown newspaper, so in San Francisco, the San Francisco Chronicle, where she lived, um, she only got four stories in the newspaper. None of them were front page. And comparatively, that same paper had 32 front page stories for Lacey Peterson's story. And with cases like these, like timings, everything, like the police messed it up by not wanting to investigate right. when you know evidence can wash away like things can co be covered up so um timing's necessary but also attention is necessary like you, we saw this with gabby petito right push the with, with the push from the community and how that really dictated and helped push her case be solved exactly and in a lot of ways like gabby petito most people were able to predict kind of what, what happened. happened with right. her and then you know it became clear in the following weeks but there's no denying that the fact that it was on everyone's mind really helped the case to be solved more quickly because Absolutely. there was video footage that was found of her van that was like taken by YouTubers. And like there were lots of people that were kind of involved in this case or had seen them or seen him or whatever right. because it had national media coverage. And like you can't ignore the fact that there are like she is a white woman right. and there are people of color that were missing for longer or had gone missing around that period of time that right. did not have the same media coverage and um, or their cases were not treated the same. Right. And that's something that at the very least is worth analyzing and discussing why that's true. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, one thing, because I made a whole video about the Gabby Petito case, and it, it's great that you see this because what we are, when people are critiquing how it was handled, it's not to say no case should be handled like that. It's to say every single case should be handled like this. Right. We're using it as a touchstone to, oh, like um, in my video, uh, when I'm talking about it, it's like I saw that 
all the systems were working in tandem to find this girl and they're working together and like including social media. So you had people chiming in like, oh, we picked up Brian hitchhiking here. So that mm -hmm. placed him here at this time. And then they had video of him here. And then the guy came out and said, I saw a domestic dispute. And so everyone was able to kind of track those last few days, those last few hours between the two of them and how it was a tense situation and there was domestic violence. So clearly things were pushing and pulling towards him being a suspect, especially since, you know, he kind of disappeared off the face of the earth and right. all sorts of things like that. But um, it's kind of like, especially watching how that happened, it's like, oh, so it can work. It just doesn't want to work for someone like me or someone like Evelyn Hernandez or someone like, you know, in that kind of situation or a sex worker or whatever, because right. societally, like one, which is sad, like in cynical news is capital and news, there's money in news. So if the ads can't sell, and right, the, the stories and captivating. Cap yeah, exactly. Exactly. If it's not something that's captivating to the masses, then you know we're not going to choose that story. And so, um, Gabby Petito's own father in in one of the press conferences was like, you know, I I can't. I'm so appreciative of what you guys did for Gabby and her memory and her legacy and helping and putting the pressure and the eye of the nation on these, um, the FBI and the police department. So they actually found her body and all of these things. But, you know, I, he was like, you, I hope that you guys continue to do this for other people kind of hinting at like, you know, Gabby was lucky in this sense, but like everyone deserves to have this type right. of coverage. And so I thought that that was really poignant because a lot of people were criticizing like, black indigenous women who were like kind of calling the hypocrisy of everything out because um, I, I watched Democracy Now! for a news source and they were talking about the Gabby Petito case, obviously, but they also brought on this um, indigenous woman who was discussing how in Wyoming, where Gabby P Petito was found, um, 700 indigenous women had been missing, gone missing, and their cases have been just unsolved for um, over the past 10 years. And so it's like, okay, yeah, you hunted her down in Wyoming and that's great because we can get a ending to this. But like there are 700 indigenous girls that never, like you never put this kind of energy behind right. that. And it's just kind of sad. So, And a lot of those cases, like it's harder to solve a case when you don't have like that knowledge of what happened around you know, they talk about the first 48 or right, whatever, right. but like that is so crucial of like really kind of being able to talk to people that were like in the surroundings right. of, you know, the victim and, you know, the perpetrator around that time. Right. And the temperament and yeah. were they upset. And I think that really helped with Gabby Petito because it was kind of like, okay, as a true crime person, it's like once I heard that he came back without her and was dodging her parents' calls, I was like, he killed her. Like, duh. Because, yeah. like, who would do that? And he was acting so, so shady. shady. Yeah. So, and his parents <laughs> were acting shady. So it was like, okay, clearly, like, something's not clean in this situation. And it, it's pointing to him. But it's like... um, 
to know, okay, someone starts calling in like, okay, the domestic abuse situation that they called into the police, then the recording dropped and everyone heard it or the video, the body cam footage of the cop pulling them over and like Gabby seeming really distressed and all of that. It's like, oh, okay, like whatever. And then one of Gabby's friends came out and was like, you know, I was her one friend in this area. He only allowed her to hang out with me. He was very controlling. And so it's like, it all kind of, lined up but you had all of this information that was being because there was so much focus on it absolutely you know I think that that like put pressure you know obviously on on his on everyone it put pressure on everyone because there was a big flashlight on this story right and there are a lot of situations that don't get the same um I don't know, don't have the same like headlines associated with them. Exactly. I want to ask a little bit more. So that Evelyn Hernandez hearing on My Favorite Murder, Evelyn Hernandez was kind of that turning point. Yes, yes. And then between that and actually prepping to launch the Mm -hmm. channel, Mm -hmm. like what did your process look like? You know, it was a really long process and I'm actually going to um, drop some YouTube videos about my process um, in like the next year or so and do a series on it. But it was like very much like, um, you know, I talked to you last year when I was Mm -hmm. here before I really started, started everything. And it just was a lot of coordination and just taking advantage of the time. I think that was the biggest thing because it's like, I know I'm somebody who I can be super productive in for like a week and then the next week I'm like useless or like mm. two weeks I'm like really on my stuff and then the next week I'm kind of like uh like I'm kind of like I need a nap I need to do this I want to watch a show I'm obsessed with this thing and so um knowing that about myself it's important to like work backwards and know yourself and know your circumstances and how you work best and so yeah you know, one thing that I implemented um, is I started going to the library to do my research. And that was so helpful because one, the library is walking distance from my house. It's a change of scenery. And I felt um, compelled to finish what I started there because Mm -hmm. I was going somewhere else. And that's something I used to do in college all the time. Like if I knew I had, it was finals week or I had several papers due, I would go drive up to the library and spend my top of the day as soon as it opened to the end of the day in the library in order to complete a task. And then I would treat myself with a really nice meal. So I'm like, okay, like I deserve this. And so um, it was kind of that thing of like understanding how I work best and kind of reverting back to the times where it's like I have a big thing to handle. I have a lot of work to handle. So how do I coordinate that in my life? And so one of those things was implementing the library. And a lot of it was like planning strategically so that I could have those pockets of time where I – felt lazy you know where I want didn't want to do anything or I didn't want to edit or I didn't want to film or I didn't want to type up a script so by allowing myself and giving myself time to do that I it didn't feel as hard as maybe if I was like trying to um make a square peg fit into a round hole in terms of how I work and so I don't know it just really started with like knowing myself and then after that like um it kind of was easy because I got into a routine of everything. And then I kind of just like, 
I don't know. I, I realized that I still had some editing skills from way back in the day. So it's like, okay, <laughs> now like I know I can film in one day and edit in one day. So that kind of works to my favor in terms of calculating, okay, how much time will it take me to like film and edit the next batch of whatever I'm going to be recording and things like that. Totally. And I think that like one, Madison's channel is like very well planned. And I, I love that because she has uh like you kind of have things set to preview ahead of time so yeah. um people can kind of see what's coming up and what's airing it's almost like a tv guide for yeah. your youtube no, channel exactly which exactly. i love because like there are things that you can see that are coming on the forefront that you're like oh like i'm interested in that video right. obviously subscribe you'll find out about everything right right but, right. <laughs> but, but i think that like that helps a lot too but i think that like um well the other question I had was yeah. like your sun, moon, rising sign in astrology. You know, I love to ask this uh, question. I know you love <laughs> to ask. And I unfortunately, I only know my son and I'm a very big Capricorn gal. Uh, yes. That's a big Capricorn girl. You energy. don't have co-star? Are you I co-star? do have co-star, but I don't have it memorized. So and like people never ask me. And I well, I also haven't been around people in a long time. Like I haven't socialized <laughs> in a long time. But it's like um it's a conversation that usually comes up and then it's like, oh, let me look at my co-star, but I'm never like I I yeah, have it in have my it brain. In your brain. Yeah, I'm like, recite, recite. No, I'm just like, I'm a Capricorn. But That's yes, what I say. I know that you're a Capricorn yeah. son. I'll have to like find out from you later yeah. um, what the rest of There's your Gemini signs are. There's Gemini in there, I know. Yeah, like me. that is interesting because I kind of wondered, like I feel like there's like the earth sign, but I know that there's some other stuff. I mean, there's lots of stuff in everyone's chart, right, but like right. having that like... um back and forth between like feeling very structured and very like organized and yeah. then also needing the time to like rest and relax yeah I was interested like about what else is there but yeah Capricorn for sure and I love that you kind of systemized it and were like how do how have I been successful in the past I think right. that's a really helpful tip right love the library love the library yeah I love the library and love the library too I mean it's just a place that's so quiet that it's like okay either you're gonna come here and mess around and like watch something or you're gonna come here and work and it's like I will I don't know what's happened to me but like I can't write how I used to in college where like I could just be in my bed just like whatever and like get things done like you know especially if I'm like cracking down on the deadline or whatever but like For me now, if I am at home, if I'm doing anything in my bed, I am legitimately like going to be toggling through YouTube, Mm -hmm. Netflix, all of these things. And then it's like, okay, I have to get back to this. And then I'm like, okay, let me go on TikTok though. But then also Instagram. So distracting. It's so hard. And so it's like when you force yourself into a situation where it's like, okay, everyone around you is doing something and it's (laughs) quiet and you can't really like get distracted and stuff. It's like, okay, I came here for a purpose. Let me complete it. So that's a big tip. I love it. And yeah. I love our and library. It's, and it's free, which yeah. is so nice. Exactly. Too. Exactly. Um, and the other thing, oh, I I'm also obsessed with human design, but like yeah. I know that you're a manifesting generator. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. I think that contributes a little bit too, because like manifesting generators, like doing what lights you up is like part of what's very important because it's what energizes you right um and 
you can sometimes like ride this wave of energy of like feeling really energized by something, but then depending on your environment, like also like for women, the time of the month can be really important. Like, um, and the phase of your cycle that you're in can be really important with regard to energy and all of that stuff. Um, but like, yeah, manifesting generators, I feel like sort of ride the wave depending on like what, what you're working on, what's exciting to you, what may be draining to you. And mm-hmm. so that can feel a little bit disorienting. Yeah. But I love that you were able to hack it. And I think too, like once you start whatever thing that you're starting, yeah. it can take on a different energy because you're like, oh, okay, like I'm not as nervous about like these editing things oh or whatever. Gosh, now it's like more under my belt. But then you start to like work on the other aspects of like promotion or like how your week's going to be scheduled. Right. And all this different stuff. No, that's definitely true. And I think, you know, so I started on January 6th. My first video is a documentary action to you four. I was at the Capitol about January 6th and my feelings about January 6th. But anyway, <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like I remember as uh, over the course of editing um, my videos, I was like, oh, my God, like, OK, each one I was getting more confident in. Mm-hmm. Like my first one I had to record twice because I was like, okay, I don't even, I'm not even making sense. Like I, <laughs> this needs to go. And so yeah. um, the first one I recorded twice, but after that it was like a steady progression of just like getting more succinct or being just like more silly and showing myself off more instead mm-hmm. of being like, and this is what I came here to speak about, right. you know, it's more like, <laughs> Uh, me, you know, flowing and getting used to talking to nobody and stuff. And so I noticed that there and it was there was a point where I was like editing like um, March's videos. I, and I was like, wow, like, you know, even editing's quicker because I'm more confident. And now I know how to cue myself to be like, OK, this is a part you cut or whatever mm-hmm. um, beforehand when I'm filming. And so it was just like. One of those things where I felt like really energized by the fact that I um, was seeing progression even just in, you know, a few months time of filming those videos and just visually through the videos, through how I edit, through what I add in. And it's just uh, it's been a fun experience. And I think that's like like I was saying in the beginning, like, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to become like a top monetized creator on YouTube. Who knows like what the world has in store for me. But it really is just an incredibly enjoyable experience for myself. And like, I will keep doing it. I'm just going to keep going. Right. And I think that that is the most important thing because like, consistency is oh my gosh, yeah. really beneficial for all of these things. Yes. And I think that like consistency gets talked about a lot and it's something that I certainly have struggled with in mm-hmm. the past. Mm-hmm. But I think that like when you really enjoy what you're doing, the consistency piece becomes a lot easier. Right. And I do think that like creating those systems, like I've talked about for this podcast, the fact that I pre-recorded a lot of my episodes right. really helped me to get over that hump. I feel at least mm-hmm. of like when it can feel really dejecting right. of like, you're not getting necessarily the feedback or the views right. or like the listeners or whatever right. Right. right, that can feel like really challenging. And I think that's why a lot of people give up in that first Absolutely. period of time because they're like, Oh, like this wasn't a like, 
like I didn't blow up or whatever right, uh, from this first video. No, totally. And it's interesting because I, you know, when you look at YouTube advice online, consistency is like one of the main things because when people stumble on your channel, they want to know it's an active channel, not a dead channel, of right. course. But it's also that thing of like, what can consistency look like for you? And if that was batch recording and then switching that up or whatever, then that is what it is. But if it's something where it's like, you know, some people work well under pressure, so they film every week and they can edit every week and mm -hmm. have a video every week. If you work a job and you can't commit to a video every week, then maybe it's a video biweekly. And right. being able to have the time, I just made a YouTube friend who does biweekly true crime and she's, I think she's an attorney. Um, she's really awesome. But like she work makes it work for her schedule so she can still be consistent. And I think people get caught up in like, okay, consistency means a, a video a day or this and that. And right. it's like, okay, no, it can work in your schedule as long as it shows, okay, I know every two weeks on a Tuesday, you're going to drop a video at 6 p.m. And right. I can like look forward to that or whatever, instead of kind of just like not, delivering and so um for me it's like i knew i could commit to um uh weekly videos if i prepared ahead of time and made it an easy kind of thing for me where it was like okay i'm making sure everything's systematically set up so i don't feel like i'm not researching videos and filming a video and editing a video and uploading it to YouTube all in one week. Right. Which some people can do. Right. You know? And so. I think it depends on like what sort of videos you do too. But like the yeah. fact is like whatever works for you or feels most supportive for you is what you should do. Absolutely. Instead of like listening to. Because I, I agree that like, you know, sometimes people poo poo. Like it's like there are sometimes sometimes like things that are just put out there that it's like you have to post this right, amount of videos right. every week or like you have to and whatever it's arbitrary because right. it's like okay it may have worked for you but i mean you know if i'm a true crime girl looking at someone giving advice for a beauty youtubing kind of situation right. and how they got big it's like okay but this isn't even the same content and so the people who are attracted to true crime oftentimes are more into longer videos are more into you know you don't the have to research. be doing a lot of things they right. appreciate the detail you don't have to be like you know get ready with me or whatever yeah. it's like they appreciate the fact that you're showing pictures you're looking at the screen and you're telling them a story so it's like one of those things where it's like people have to understand where they get the advice but also bend the advice to fit your lifestyle so like totally. i was saying like consistency can mean anything as long as you're dropping a video the same time you know, each, every, week. each yeah. week, each month or whatever, you know. Right. Definitely. And I think almost like more for yourself, like um, making sure that like you have some sort of schedule so that like yes. if you're getting discouraged or whatever, you have something to go back to of like, no, but I still want to do this. I still see the vision. People talk right. about like having their why. It's like I still have a reason why I'm putting this stuff out. Right. Um, I feel like this is a good segue into yeah. like what you have coming up. We've talked yeah. a little bit about some like of the videos that you have coming, but like what are you really excited about that's coming forward? Well, you know, to be honest, there's a few things. So um, what I did when I planned is I, I wrote some I kind of was like, OK, 
um, you know, I just finished my Black History Month series. Um, so all the stories were about black things and black people, true mm -hmm. crime and things like that. What's crazy, though, is um, my the video that's done the best on my channel is not um, what I planned my channel to be. So it's <laughs> a, it's a commentary on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia talking about blackface and comedy. And that was one of my Black History Month like little episode that's supposed to be like kind of a bonus one where it'd be like two in a week but like I ran into some copyright issues so I had to like replace <laughs> the other one and it's the whole thing but um essentially like what I have coming up is I mean I think I'm going to listen to what the viewers want and kind of switch up now my whole mission statement for my channel is to widen the concept of true crime and I think um you know one of the things that we always deemed to be true crime is like murders, sexual assaults, things like that, where it's like very cut and dry. There's a victim. It's an, on an individual basis and things like that. Um, for my definition of true crime, I'm trying to expand it and deconstruct it so it can mean like, you know, the Flint water crisis or mm -hmm. things like that. And that can be kind of dragged into there's a clear perpetrator and a victim. And yes, it's the system, but also like the neglect that was had shows that it was purposeful. So I think we can talk about that in that lens. Right. So I'm going to be kind of segueing to also adding. So the way my channel works now, there's two true crime and society episodes and then two black girl reacts episodes, which are where I do my documentary reactions. And instead, one of those black girl reacts is going to be me talking about a show or something. And like, you know, like it's always sunny. And I have I just filmed another it's always sunny one that was relevant um, before I came up here. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm going to do like political South Park episodes, like shows that are like interesting, kind of irreverent and just kind of pulling them apart, but also relating it to the tenets of true crime that I hold true to my heart. And right. I believe so relating it back to the general message of the channel. So we're going through some changes, which I'm excited about, but it's also like with things like this, nothing's ever fixed, you know, of course you have it's to your just... it's your YouTube channel. Yeah, like, it's like I can change it up. And so I'm just excited going back to your question about just like what else is going to change and what else is this going to bring? I'm listening to what you're showing me in terms of, OK, this was a very successful video. People really liked it. And so I was like, OK, I, I can do this, too in addition to what I was doing before, and it can still all make sense. Yeah, and I mean, you you all know, you know, I love talking about human design. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like in talking about, like, that is completely the way that your type works and, like, mm -hmm. your strategy is to respond. So, like, taking in what, like, you know, information, like looking at your analytics and being right. like, oh, a lot of viewers really like this video. I also enjoyed doing this video right. and what other things in this lens are interesting to me that I could discuss or talk about, Absolutely. like other things that I've watched or think that I could put like my spin on. Right. I think that like, that's definitely in response. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's, I mean, 
like like I said, you know, I'm new to this. I'm not an expert. I can't sit here and be like, my way is the only way this will work. If my analytics are telling me, okay, you know, um, this video did really good and you got a lot of new people to come to your channel through this video that may or may not have been exposed to you before, um, you know, it's like the more the merrier and then they can also see you know the messaging behind the channel and maybe they'll stick around maybe they won't maybe it's a one and go but it's also one of those things where it's like okay clearly they're responding to this so let me do more of that so they're not immediately like oh she doesn't have any more videos like that because right. I can and so and you enjoy like that video I it's one of the ones that I watched it was like really fun I also think it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's hilarious. It's like, so funny. It's so funny. It's so funny. And I think that like you providing your perspective like on that topic yeah. was super interesting and I think very important as well. Yeah. So I think that like, yeah, I if they liked it, you know, why not? And it was it was really like fun. Like you have no idea how many people in my life because, you know, I went to UC Santa Cruz. I'm a banana slug. Go slugs. But <laughs> um, basically, it's a very politically, you know, right. left leaning school. And there's like 16,000 protests every year like everyone knows this so it's one of those things where it's like a lot of friends from college who are amazing people and no judgment here you know whatever but like they also um they would dm me because like you know i put clips up on my instagram and things like that and they'd be like i'm so happy you're about to tear these people to shreds like this show to shreds oh, and i like, was like kind of the woke police like, um, type that's You're, not why don't you watch well, the like, video we have a difference of opinions but i hope you like the video and then they'd come back and be like oh like that's what you're trying to talk about and that's what you were trying to say and i really appreciate it because what i found out is oh you only watched one episode of the show or you saw a clip of the show oh. so you don't know the concept of the show you're just like these white guys this white girl saying these things and it's like but when you put it in context, it makes it a whole nother situation. Well, context is so important. Yeah. And the premise of it's it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Almost the only premise is that these are five horrible people. They're like the worst people you can imagine. <laughs> like the worst people. Like like and it's just crazy because, you know, I I watched their I listened to their podcast. They just started a podcast during uh, quarantine. Yeah, I've watched I've I listened to a few clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny. And like they were talking about like um in the first season there's one episode called Charlie Has Cancer. And it's and they do kind of a callback to that later on in the seasons, but it's like imagining like the worst group of friends, the most selfish group of friends, the most chaotic and terrible group of friends. One of them has cancer and they're telling their friends they have cancer. And it's like, you know, the whole premise of that episode is like, how do selfish people take information when it's not about them? <laughs> and it's like, from the very first, if we're in the very, very jump, the show is about like, just terrible, terrible, terrible people. Right. That everyone they are in contact with, they ruin their lives. Rickety Cricket, you know, <laughs> oh the God, one, the priest yeah. who's now, you know, it's just crazy. And so it was interesting to get that response and for me to be like, oh, watch a video first. And then they did. And then to, for them to come back and be like, oh, like, I have to be honest, I only saw one episode and I was up in arms. And it's like, see, and this is where we all have to kind of 
cool it and be able to live in a place where it's not just they versus us or whatever, black and white. Like there are things in the middle and that's okay. Right. And we can be comfortable with that. Yeah. And like, and we need to have a conversation about it. It doesn't mean that like everything's okay, but you can't like what you talk about in the video that I think is really important is like, um, like oftentimes people will try to make things black and white or try to put things in a box of like, you know, something like blackface is bad, which it's true. Yeah. Blackface is bad. Right. But if you're, if it's on a show in which you're talking about the most horrible people, People, they would do blackface. They would do blackface and they would be like, and so it is interesting in this like premise to have a commentary about people that probably exist in this world that are so out of touch that they're like, oh, blackface is okay in this situation or like this or whatever. And so Madison gets more into that and it's, it's a great video. I'm, I'm going to link everything in the show notes, but, um, I want to talk about because obviously you're a documentary junkie. Oh, gosh. okay. Don't so you get me started. <laughs> I'm gonna get you started because yes. I'm also a documentary junkie. Yes. So, are there any documentaries that you've really been enjoying at the moment, or just general ones, even if it's not recent, general ones that you're like, this ding, is my ding, go-to. ding, yeah. Okay, so there are a few. There are a few. So um, um, one of them, which is so interesting, um, it, it used to be on um, YouTube, but there, there's a true crime case um, surrounding the club kid culture in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie, Macaulay Culkin plays the uh, main guy who murdered his friend, Michael Alleg. And this was in the 90s and they were high on drugs and it's so crazy. But he was basically this big club kid. And there was, used to be a documentary on Netflix, but I think you can find it on YouTube called Limelight. Mm. And, and it discusses the culture and the murder and everything that happened in between and who this kid was and what was going on at the time. And so to me, that's a tried and true. I actually haven't watched it in a while and maybe I should consider watching it for the channel because it's really, really good. Um, I, I, and I've done a reaction video to this, but there was um, the Jonestown one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gets me every time. I've seen it a million, million times and I still can't like... Because it's just a crazy situation, right. you know, it, it, it's just basically what I'm talking about is Jonestown, Guyana, um, Jim Jones and, you know, the whole influx of the saying don't drink the Kool-Aid, things like that. If you don't know, research it. It's pretty crazy. But there's a lot of really good free documentaries on YouTube about it. Mm. And my favorite one is the one that I um, did a reaction to. But that one is like a tried and true. Like if I'm in a if I can't find something to watch, I can put that on and like always like be in new stuff. And absolutely. Be yeah. Absolutely. Um, what else? Um, another one like that is um, which is more lighthearted. It's called The Art of Rap, which is um, it was produced by Ice. T 
It was produced by Ice-T. And basically, he's going around to all his rapper friends, like OGs in rap, and like they're talking about their experience. And it, it was, it's just a beautiful documentary that's like an ode to rap and like mm. all the greats he interviews, Snoop, and he goes to different sections of the country. So he starts in New York because that's where it started. Then he goes to the South and he goes to the West Coast. And it's just interesting to like see kind of like the legacy of rap, where it started and what it is now. And yeah. also just like learn more about why it became such a amazing art form where it came from and so that's a really good one and um another i think my favorite one which i got copyrighted for for trying to do a documentary <laughs> I to do and i'm still trying to figure out if i can upload it but um i really 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 like um um 13th and that's free on YouTube. Oh, yeah, that one is. It's a lot. A it's lot. long, but it's a lot. And it adds so much context to so many it's things. It's so important. It's such an important. It's a, it's a really important documentary. So I, I try to watch it. I mean, I watch it. I've seen it countless times, but I'm never tired of it because it just like the way the story is told, the context, what is being said, the people who are asked to speak. Angela Davis is in there and she. uh works at my works at my college she's a professor oh, at my school wow. and, and yeah. so um i've met her once or twice but uh you know just like been in the same room with her right and like i'm <laughs> exaggerating like she definitely would never know like, me we're yeah it, we text <laughs> yeah. don't worry about it no um but um just i have like different types of documentaries that i like it's not always true crime though it tends to skew true crime yeah but um you know i i I just love a well put together documentary. I really do. I There's really do. nothing like it. Have you watched Tinder Swindler yet? Yes. Oh, I, of girl. course I did. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to say this right here now. I, there's a lot of, there was a lot of holes in the story. I'm not a victim blamer because they definitely were duped and he was a good manipulator. Yeah. I can say that. But it's also like, once he's starting to ask you to take out a loan, you met him once. You you he took you on a private jet. It's like, babes, yeah. You have to think a little bit about no one should ask you for a loan, especially if they're the son of diamonds. And why don't you sell a diamond? You have your diamonds. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, it's crazy. Like I was um, there's this YouTube channel I really like um, called Psychology in Seattle. Have oh, you, I've, do you have, watch I've him never, at all? No. Okay. I'll, I'll show yeah, him. Yeah, some. yeah, yeah. He does videos on it's. He's so hilarious, oh but gosh. he's like very deadpan humor. He's a psychologist, um, I, who I think is based in Seattle. Right. Yes, <laughs> I, I would hope so. Yeah. That'd be really random. <laughs> um, and he does. He talks about psychology, like topics, and like, but based on reality TV shows, like Ninety Day Fiance, oh, Love Is Blind. I love stuff like that. So he uses it as like a jumping off point as to talk foil. about, yeah. 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 And he's like, I can't know about these people and I'm not diagnosing them, but like, here's some data. And then he'll talk right, about like right. personality disorders right, and stuff right, like right. that. And it's really interesting. But like, um, he did a longer form because he has a podcast as well. He did a longer form podcast on um, the Tinder swindler. Right. Um, oh my gosh. And it is kind of interesting because, like, in listening to that, I was thinking about like, <sighs> I don't think I've never been in a situation where if someone asked me for $30,000, you could provide, that. I could provide right, that right, to them, right, or right. that I would like, right. but 
I think that like in the situation that these women were in, it was like he'd been so generous to them. Totally. He set it up. And the other thing too is sometimes he would like send them receipts of wire transfers. Right, right, right. Well, he was very, the thing is, it's clear that he knew how to manipulate. Manipulate. It's very clear. Like, I, and what a lot of people were saying is, you know, you know, clearly I've never been in a position to be able to be like, you know, here's 30 grand, but I also, also never had anyone really ask I've for money like that. Never, at all. never, ever, never ever, in ever. my life. And I also, um, would do a hard pass at doing getting a loan out for somebody that's like definitely not gonna happen no so Um, stressful especially someone that that much money for that much money but what a lot of people were countering that statement with is they thought he was gonna pay them back immediately it was a temporary problem he had already like the first girl the main girl we kind of come in on he like took her on a pj that day after they first met oh i guess we should maybe say like if you haven't watched this documentary, oh, yeah. we're spoiling, spoiling it. it. <laughs> sorry. Oops, it's, sorry. It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So it's like he took her on a private jet, like their second date. So it's like, okay, especially her because she was like, I love Cinderella. And it's like, yeah, you're being swept yeah. off your feet. It's super yeah. romantic. But then you show up and it's like the baby mom and the baby's there and it's this whole thing but it's like you you have been wined and dined to oblivion even if it was just for a night for you to realize like okay if he can do that I just met him yesterday like if he needs 30 grand I know he'll pay it back to right. me he's full. good for it right he's good for it right. and it's like no he's not yeah he's gonna take you he's for on all cameo you now do you know he that he is such a clown he's such a clown I have to say like I I mean, he's like not my type, so I think oh, well, there are yeah, aspects yeah, yeah. of it that I was like, he's corny, like yeah, it's like, uh, but like yeah, no, also no, no, no. he's corny, <laughs> and I like I She's hate the too fact good too. for the Tinder swindler. <laughs> I know, knock on wood. I know, seriously, yeah, seriously. like oh my god, but oh like god. I think that clearly there were enough people that like, and and to be honest, I think that like. If you swipe right on someone mm-hmm. and then they're like immediately whisking you off on a jet and taking I mean, you to dinners, right. if that's your type, like that's like a pretty, you, I mean, that would be attractive to most people. I know. I'd be scared. Oh my God. I, yeah. I I'd think I, that would stress me out. Yeah, but like, yeah. but yeah, I mean, the fact that he literally served five months and then oh my God, they released him to be a business consultant and to Which like be so- on cameo, cameo. And it's apparently so now he like got a talent manager and it wants to have a dating show. Like he's just oh, like. That, I mean, you know, and they're going to do it because it's like, that's, I mean. I hope they don't. I hope I that hope he they goes away somewhere. Somewhere for, sad. He's just yeah. like soaking in his 15 minutes. Definitely. Yeah. But as far as documentaries go, I mean, I love, um, um, I just love all types of them. One of my all-time favorites, and I lo- got uh, watched this in sociology, um, one of my sociology classes in college was Grey Gardens. Have you ever watched mm-hmm. that one? I haven't watched. I think that I've started it, but I have not watched it. And it's I'm like, sure it's very interesting. It's so it's so interesting. It's one of those things where it's like, um, it's an basically the class I was taking was talking about ethnographies and like what is an ethnography and how can you see it in documentary filmmaking and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
basically it's just about a mother daughter relationship and they're distant cousins from Jackie O. They were like hoarders. They were once rich and their lives were like, basically it's just really, really interesting. And uh, you don't think it's going to be interesting, but it's so interesting because you're like, how do you live like this? But also like your relationship is crazy and she's fighting with her mom one second, then they're in love the next second. So it's just like a very, very interesting, very interesting documentary. Documentary. Do you know where people can find it? It used to be on the Hulu Criterion collection. So you used to be able to watch it on Hulu. But I honestly, what I do now is I just like Google it and say like streaming and after it and like it usually tells you where. Where, yeah. um, I think it honestly might actually be on Netflix right now, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's really good. It's hard because like all this stuff moves around anyways. Yeah. 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 Or like there are things I've watched and like you can't find them anymore um, on the streaming site you watch them on. Exactly. Also, one last thing about the documentaries. If you're really into a true crime one, one that really scared like legitimately scared me which is hard to do was the night stalker series on netflix which is crazy and you know whatever i have not watched that one for that exact reason i know it would freak me out i've I've heard that from like other people that um i used to listen to neil brennan's podcast a Uh lot uh and he would always have like a documentary watch segment it was called doc watch like yeah oh that's fun yeah yeah um they talked about that one i was like yeah you're like this is not for me yeah one that i really um i think it's still on netflix it 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 unfortunately like a spoiler alert it's the keepers like but yeah yeah uh, it's very good you should watch it but um it I hate when it's not a case that's been really sealed or like closed up. Right. And so sometimes it can be a little like sad when you watch a documentary series and like it kind of has Is a decline. Is this the one with the nun? Yes. Oh, yeah. That one was. <sighs> yeah, it was yeah, yeah. so heartbreaking. Yeah. And yeah. basically there was this priest that uh, was abusive and had a history of abuse. Right. But he in particular was I forgot what it's called but he was like the priest that was on campus, campus at a Catholic, at a school, Catholic high school all girls yeah. Catholic school yeah and um so he basically had like a ring of men who would abuse these girls mm-hmm. men from the community who would mm-hmm. abuse these high school girls it was really it was in the 60s and 70s yes. I believe yes um, in a very Catholic community in Baltimore. And so priests were like kind of hailed almost as kings. Absolutely. So he was a major authority figure. Yeah, a bond, uh, uh, beyond reproach, you know, beyond it's like reproach. something you, you, someone you don't question because it's like, if you if you're in a community where everyone's Catholic, like these people, they they're the most pious, they're the most blessed, they're this, they're that. So it's like to even think or, push an allegation towards that person it would automatically backfire especially in the 60s especially because you're a young girl and then it's like turned on you type thing yeah it was it was so sad because I didn't realize this until watching this documentary but like um because and this isn't only true in the catholic church and most of us know that there are some pretty widely known abuses within the catholic church absolutely so that's not new information but i think that like 
um, there are a lot of positions in which there are people that are in a place of authority that right. have communication with that have kind of secretive communication or one-on-one communication with people that could be abused really easily. Right. So they talked about in this documentary that because they had the confessional as a place where these girls would go Mm -hmm. and they had access to information in confessional, obviously you hope that your priest is going to be honest and trustworthy in that situation. Right. And these priests were not. So they would use the information that they would get from these girls during confessional, girls who had been abused by other members in their family, um, physically or sexually Sexually. abused, girls that had um, tense relationships with their parents. So there was like some or were rebellious in some way. So there was some like broken down ties within the family. So there was no oversight in their life, which is what a lot that's the grooming process. And you know, it's it's sad that it's kind of shielded in the tradition the traditions of the of the Catholic Church. But it's a similar thing with um, you know, uh, Boy Scouts of America had similar allegations. And it's like one of those things where it's like okay yeah your kid's a boy scout but you notice that you don't pick him up you the parents don't pick him up from whatever meetings on time or he always has to carpool with a friend you've right. never met the parents they're not involved or he can't afford certain things and so it, it that part of the that documentary was sick and then the fact of what ended up happening to the nun who they're trying to figure out what happened to her is so sick because she was a light in so many people's lives. And she was one that kind of was, you know, kind of had her ear to the streets and kind of trying to really protect the girls and stuff like that. So it was really, it was really unfortunate. That one's really good. It's very good. Yeah. Heartbreaking. It touches on a lot of subjects like believing victims, victims, um, the Catholic church, the uh, women, like believing women and girls. Um, there was delayed um, because it was really intense trauma. Yeah. Um, the person that came forward and actually pursued the case with the archdiocese, she did not have any memories. She'd repressed the memories right, right. for like, I think, 30 or 40 years. Yep, yep. And then they came up actually in prayer. She did prayer in a, in a different way. It's kind of interesting, actually, like, she would pray kind of like in a meditative state mm-hmm. for hours mm-hmm. and um they came up in yeah, meditation. See. Okay. So it's yeah. it's like it's a very good documentary, not for the weak of heart. It was one of those that I like watched in like two nights and was yeah. like I like went to work and then was like you know it's interesting that you bring up the because in that one it's like there's no real conclusion it kind of fades yeah. away because it's like what can be done certain things could be done certain things couldn't be done because of the time frame because it was so long ago but um you know my most recent video that i just filmed where i'm watching it's always sunny i'm watching the episode where they kind of recre- recreate the the netflix um docu series making a murderer which was mm-hmm. huge yeah. which is a hilarious episode um <laughs> but they kind of at the end cuz there's always some sort of commentary about life at the end which i love but like literally like what they were basically alluding to is in these true crime documentaries or documentaries that have no conclusion, um, it's kind of rife with like it, 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 it can turn into 
a place where the biases of the documentarian can come through. And so mm-hmm. it was interesting that they chose to um, parody Making a Murder because there's a lot of scandal about the documentary itself and mm-hmm. what they were pushing and what actually happened. And so, uh, you know, long story short, it's like, Making a murder is about this guy who was accused wrongfully of sexual assault in like the 80s or something, got out of prison years later, and then was in the process of suing the police department. And then another woman goes missing during this time frame, mm-hmm. and the police kind of gun right for him and arrest him and accuse him of all this stuff. And now how the documentarians kind of made the documentary it's kind of like okay well clearly the police like you know were against him and this and that he kind of showed that their whole way of doing things was wrong and he was suing them for 36 million dollars yeah because he was i forgot how long he was in jail he was for. in jail for like a very years. a very long time it was like really crazy and so he was suing them for 36 million dollars and that money wasn't going to be covered by their insurance it was going to be covered out of their pensions yeah and so basically you know there's cause for kind of like okay whatever but on the flip side what ended up being discussed in court is that there was several parts of dna evidence where he was touching her touching her car all sorts of things and so it's it's like he was placed there her car was found there you know she went missing there and like this was the last place the last person to see her and his dna is everywhere so that naturally points to a suspect but it's like the people in that town were so upset with the documentary because, you know, they get calls from their to, to their, you know, people crank call and do stuff, stuff mm. like that. But it's like going back to documentaries that don't really have a clear ending. It's like it can be interpreted in so many ways. And oftentimes people forget that even though a documentary has true people and true stories kind of attached to it the biases show up and like how does that kind of alter your opinion about who's guilty and who's innocent and things like that right that's also a good documentary but after reading and researching a little bit about the backlash you're kind of like mm, like I don't know if I'll like completely support it but it was a big deal at the time oh my god yeah I remember like I yeah every that was all I anyone was really talking talking about about at that point in time um and but I do think it is something that we have to think about just like when we're consuming media in any way there is going to be some level of bias absolutely even though like um you know there are going to be there are going to be things I think that clearly in that documentary it brought forward like flaws that are in the criminal justice system the way that like a small community could like like there was a lot of plausibility of like why the police department may want to kind of target this individual. Right. right. Um, but yeah, I think that like bias is a really important thing just to be aware of. Um, yeah. I don't know why I like thought of this, but, um, and I haven't, I know that they've had subsequent seasons, but did you ever listen to the serial podcast? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a similar thing. Yeah. And I talked about it in that video too, because it's like that podcast changed the game. Like mm-hmm. it came up and it changed, it totally changed the game. I remember listening to it on my computer in college in my freshman year and just being like obsessed with it. But it kind of brought up certain ethical things because, um, you know, obviously the case was a long time and they're interviewing the accused guy in prison and things like that. He feels like he was wrongly convicted or whatever. And, 
you know, it's possible. The thing is, it's possible. But what was really poignant was, you know, after this whole series, it got like 10 million downloads right off the bat. Yeah. And everyone was obsessed with it. And there's a Reddit comment made by the victim's brother. And Mm. he was like, you know, I recognize that this story is really entertaining for some of you guys to pick apart and try and figure out for yourself. We put this to rest a long time ago. And now it's all coming back up. And now it's all coming back up. And everyone's talking about it. And And there were multiple documentaries that were made about it after that point. Exactly. I mean, and and so he, he just kind of was like, and I think this is something to keep in mind with true crime is like, there are real people attached to these stories. These are real families and victims. And, at the end of the day, his sister was murdered by somebody, whether it was right. this guy or another guy. I don't know. But his sister was murdered by somebody. And, um, you know, he has to live with that experience. And it's like then we're all consuming it like, oh, my God, like this is the best podcast I've ever seen. Let's talk about it over drinks. And it's like, OK, you know, yeah. And then it's like, OK, Serial or whoever is behind Serial. I think it's NPR. I'm not sure. But they're making a ton of money off of this right. story. And it's like, OK, I put this to bed when I was this, you know, years ago. And now I have to, like, go around hearing everyone talk about my sister's murder. It complicates it. And I yeah. think that, like, it's true that, like, on one hand, and you hope that like you want there to be illumination of questions about these cases Absolutely. because like it would be best for cases to be done correctly, correctly. the first and time and not. all these yeah. questions to be asked Absolutely. and justice to be served to the right person. But I think that and so you want you want justice to be served to the right person right. at the end of the day. Right. But I think that it is interesting to think about and talk about the fact that, um, yeah, in some situations you could see how entertainment to the public right. would be like kind of irreverent and disrespectful right. to the people involved. Um, and there may be layers of that. Like um, I, I think that podcasts like that or, you know, just, channels like that in general media like that is really important because it can bring light to flaws in the system but it also is like you feel for the people that may be affected by it Um, absolutely and I think one of the main things too because with serial too it's kind of the thing of like okay well um there he believes he didn't do it we know that but he's in prison right now so like you know there has to be a reason why you're taking his story for you to even slightly believe that he's kind of this innocent guy in this situation. But the fact that it ended in a non-conclusive way where it's like, okay, you're doing this whole whirlwind, but you don't even know whether he's innocent or not. So you're opening up this can of worms to open up this can of worms to have an interesting story. And it was entertaining and it was interesting, but it's like, but you're not thinking about lives and the families that this you know affects and so it's just kind of like and his whole family like also thinks he's innocent of course so it's like one of those things where it's like okay but like if you don't have concrete evidence to like you know whatever then it's kind of like okay well we can play this like is he was he profiled game all of this kind of thing all day but he's in prison and so if you don't have anything to exonerate him then like why rehash the story in the first place it's kind of disrespectful I wonder if like 
they because obviously they didn't know and I don't know how sub how well subsequent seasons have done because right. that's the first season. So now I I know there's been at least four, yeah, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so first season I've it was only Ad- had the first season. Adnan something. It, yeah, and I forgot what the girl's name was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. First season was on him. Right. Second season was on this guy who um was in the military and went basically went AWOL, but in oh, like a yeah. really I started it and didn't finish it, but yeah. Yeah. It it definitely was not as popular. Right. I found it to be quite interesting because I actually don't know a ton about the u.s military and so and i'm sure there are people that are like that's not the place where you should learn about it okay okay but (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um it was really interesting to see like because basically he did something that he had reasons for doing it Uh uh-huh but potentially put many many people's lives in danger okay and um because I forget huh, it. Yeah, yeah. Listen, well, listen to it. To it's it. interesting, listen but like it. it was, it was a super. That was their second story, but it was again on a particular person that people had very strong feelings about. I forget yeah. what he does now, but like he, there are a lot of people that very much dislike him because okay. of the situation that, that he, he was in. So it yeah. provided more context around that and people's feelings yeah. around that. And I think like there's something to be said because I mean, touching back to my It's Always Sunny kind of the whole reason I made that video is just like living in the gray area is important because, you know, you need to understand that life is never just so simple. Right. But it's all. And so I think that's kind of what serial is doing or what making a murder is doing where it's like, okay, like there are these facts and there are these facts and we're presenting you to you them at the same time. And you kind of decide. But I think when it comes to cases of true crime where it's like, okay, but you're rehashing a story that's been dead for 20 years and you don't have any answers, but you're trying to, you think this will be entertaining to go in this like middle ground lane but you're not considering the victim's parents the victim's family anything of that nature and so it turns or even what recourse this person has like I I think that he had some appeals that he was working on so like there was maybe that reason but yes I think that like it is interesting when you're dealing with a case that obviously is sensitive I think it's sensitive on both sides because he believes he's innocent. He's innocent. His right. family believes he's innocent. And right. there was at least the evidence that they were that we were provided on the podcast. Right. It was like, it, you know, there was evidence to the like yeah. that he did not commit this murder. Right. There is a little bit of evidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. But I think that like also, yeah, if you're questioning the responsibility of calling on someone who is is in prison and having conversations about them about whether or not they're guilty right that is like a little bit it provides complexity there especially when there are you know um yeah, like there are questions about like what legal recourse he really has right. and like what doors this is going to open, open up. up. Yeah. But since so those first two were focused on people and then the 
second two have been focused more on systems. Okay, which is good. Yeah. yeah. So they they did tap into stories about people. Like the third season was um about the uh criminal justice system mm-hmm. in Cleveland. Okay, yeah. But it was more just like picking a place in the country and like their criminal justice system and kind of, and basically one courthouse. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was quite interesting, heartbreaking, but interesting. And then the last one I didn't watch, but it was on or listen to, um, but it was on, um, I want to say it was like parents at schools like mm-hmm. white parents going to like uh, schools in the city. Like, uh, I'm going to butcher the name of it, but it, I didn't l- listen to it. Was it nice white parents? Nice white parents, yeah, yes. Yeah. I listened to that too. And that was good too. Cause it's, yeah. And that's and that's the thing. Like, I, I you know, that like that whole history behind that is like a true crime story to me. Because it's like, okay, so why are you segregating these kids? And then mm-hmm. the in equity in the funding and things like that like to me like it's a deliberate thing so it's like you know you're clearly trying to disadvantage a certain group over another group and so it's important to note that you know there are victims in that situation it's not just statistics and those statistics are not just reflecting oh inner city kids are stupider it's Mm -hmm. the fact that you're not providing them and feeding them with the same kids you're providing the other kids with and so um i really appreciate that they switched it to systems because I think that's way a, a easier way to kind of get into that liminal space, that kind of space where it's like it's in between two things and like we can talk about it. And I, I the the nice white parents podcast was interesting because their intentions were good, but they their privilege made them overstep a lot of things right. and not understand that. So they created the tension themselves and created tension amongst the kids. And so it was interesting to listen to that. I actually listened to it um, while I was here with you um, oh. over the summer when we came up. So was, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, but um, one thing I want to hit on too, just really quickly, um, I don't know when this is coming out, but my most recent video as of this date um, <laughs> is a one on a story about a man called Freeway Rick Ross. And mm-hmm. Freeway Rick Ross was one of the biggest black crack kingpins in um, the West Coast. He uh, was able to earn over a billion dollars in the 1980s from selling crack. He was oh. one of the first to sell crack. But, um, you know, his story is really interesting. And I use that story as a for to end out Black History Month because it was an interesting take. And it was basically talking about what was going on historically at the time, the war on drugs, um, Reagan administration, and what was going on in the Black community. But basically what he was alleging was he was working, and he didn't know this until he was in prison for whatever, getting caught up selling drugs, but um, he was working with someone who was working for the CIA. And there and and they were kind of allowing and like mitigating the situation that was happening in a lot of black communities at the time of selling drugs because they are trying to illegally fund a war in Nicaragua, Mm. which is really crazy. But like going back to, you know, what I was saying about true crime and why it's, you know, 
important to put the system on trial. It's kind of that thing of like, okay, so then you get more information about that and then you go back to the time period. Okay, so Reagan was in office. He took away all this stuff from the inner city, all of the support from the inner city, all the jobs, all the factory jobs that a lot of these people depended on. And people were poor and broke and hopeless and there's mm-hmm. not a lot of social mobility. Then, you know, crack happens and so it's like this marriage made in hell where it's like okay people can sell it and get really rich and that's one way of social mobility and then on the flip side who are they selling it to and why are they consuming it because their family exactly people are losing hope they're like oh i might as well be in an altered state right i'm in that's the thing so it gets big and people are able to do that but then to find out subsequently that okay the biggest crack guy was getting his crack from the cia (laughs) to fund a war that was illegal for them to fund and congress said that they shouldn't be funding and on top of that you all add in the other layer of the hyper criminalization of the black male, the hyper policing of uh, inner cities, the um, the fact that uh, crack was racialized and politicized to skew black. So, you know, people were getting way harsher sentences. There's that whole like one ounce of cocaine is uh, one ounce of crack is worth 100 ounces of cocaine in terms of jail time. Yeah which in, there's no difference between the two, really. So it's like you put that all on top of it and you get this kind of slimy situation where it's like, okay, so you are making profits on us hand over foot at this point through, you know, the reduction of access in our communities and being able to politicize us to the point of saying, like, look at how the black people are and what they do to their own community. But you are doing that because we don't have the power to control those types of things. And you took away the things that were supporting us. And then on top of that, it's like then you hyper criminalize us, put us in jail to also be like, look at the black people. But also you're making money off of us because now we're in for profit prisons. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's Corruption, corruption, all the way to the top. And so you see that kind of story. And to me, it's like you have to look at that and say this is a true crime story. Not only were people killed, not only were lives lost, but lives were completely ruined and families were completely ruined and generations were decimated and are still feeling the effects of that time period. And so it's like we we have to kind of change how we look at these things. And I really appreciate you bringing up cereal because it's like. They're doing that. And it's like through individualistic kind of situations, but they bring the history to the conversation that the nice white parents thing is something that happens all over the country. Right. And so it's one of those things where it's like it, it it's pointing out to a system that's fundamentally just not equal and not fair. And why is that? Well, really for no reason other than to continue to do kind of the same thing. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that like, these stories like bringing more light to these systems and like kind of pulling back the curtain a bit and like looking at oftentimes the ugly reality of what's underneath and then asking us like what do we think of this and at the very least do we want this to continue right and that doesn't mean that there's not some bias there obviously like with every story there's going to be some level of perspective that's right. provided but at least you have a jumping off point to learn more information absolutely and you have someone that's at least done some level of research absolutely. but it's interesting that you brought that up around like um and just seeing that shift between focusing on individuals Mm -hmm. to focusing on systems. I wonder if they made that choice also because they were like, 
it's more honest and an integrity to focus on systems after seeing how many eyes and ears are on this. Absolutely. And I think that's a really healthy switch, you know, and um, for me and my channel, it's like I – I try and keep that in mind because I am talking about the system within the individual example. But also it's like because I'm fundamentally only choosing stories that never see the light of day, (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon to talk about Lacey Peterson again because it'll get me views or clicks, but not keeping in mind that, okay, maybe her parents are tired of like the documentaries. Maybe they don't, maybe her family's tired of constantly being reminded about how she died, like the very worst moment of their family history, you know? Um, It's more so like, I'm talking about historical systems, but I'm also picking stories where it's like, okay, well, you deserve the light of day. You right. know, there. You know, when I was um, researching how many people had done a story on Evelyn Hernandez, I, I could count it on my finger, like yeah. on my one hand. And it's like, you know, think of how many specials Lacey Peterson has gotten. Like there's a one on Hulu right now and they're probably going to make another one pretty soon. And so it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, it's important to keep these things in mind, especially when you're joining a space where it's a lot of it's very emotional. Right. Um, but it, it, using the history and then deciding to have an angle where it's like, OK, but these stories don't get told. So at least let's hear them out. Right. And I'm sure their families would appreciate someone talking about them because they never got solved or they never got told or they were right. never cared about during the time instead of just being like, OK, like. What's the most what's what the can get me the, the most popular true crime story? And so, yeah, you know, that's kind of like where I'm coming from with it. I'm really excited about what's to come. You know, I'm switching things up with like adding in. It's always sunny here and there. So it's, it's still exciting and silly. Like we could still laugh there. But it's like one of those things that's like, um, I don't know, I'm putting I'm dusting off my sociology degree and using it. <laughs> I'm using that fucking degree and I'm happy about it. It's just been such an incredible journey for me to do it. So I'm really happy about it. Yay. Well, where can people find you? Okay. So you can find me on, on YouTube at murder. She told all together. That's my channel. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at, at Mattiswan. That's my name. I'm probably going to change it at some point. <laughs> it's from high school. And then you can find me um, on Pinterest at Murder She Told as well. And um, yeah. That's and on TikTok. Oh, too. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. TikTok, <laughs> which is like where I'm so active. TikTok at at Mattiswan as well. So, yeah. Um, I and I'll link on- everything below as yeah. well. And I post everywhere, but my YouTube videos come out Thursdays at 6 p.m. Yes. So, yes. And check out the premieres to see what you're going to be tuning in for. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm so, thank you for inviting me. This was so fun. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for coming. And for everyone listening, I will see you next week. Bye. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the For Your Healing Pleasure podcast. You can listen to us on all podcast platforms as well as watch the video on YouTube. To keep up with this podcast, please subscribe. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. I really appreciate it. 
To keep up with Spiritum Meditation and this podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Spiritum Meditation. If you would like to book a session with me, you can do so at SpiritumMeditation.com.